Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Hey, welcome to Vital Point Church. My name is Ron, and I'm the lead pastor here. We are a church that is passionate about walking with people as they explore and grow in their knowledge of Jesus and commitment to His church. I want to just set up today for you and help you understand a few things. If you are new to Vital Point Church, you need to know that oftentimes we do what is called series And these series are topics that we feel are current for us today as individuals or maybe what we see happening in culture. Series can run maybe three weeks long up to 10 weeks long. It depends upon the topic. The series that we're in right now is called Jesus Said What? And it's grounded in the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through through chapter 10. Now, we've been talking about this as a staff, and we understand that this series is a little bit different in the sense of the heaviness of it. We've sensed that we're being forced to kind of look at the deeper parts of who we are. Like, we spend the vast majority of our time in the shallow lands of our lives, like schedules, paying bills, running kids around, going out for dinners, and spending time with friends, and planning vacations, and that's kind of the the shallow lands of our lives. But we've recognized that this series that we're in, called Jesus Said What, based on the Sermon on the Mount, is going to cause us to take a deeper look at the parts of our lives that maybe we don't go to very often. And so it's going to cause us to really do some hard work and to maybe look in the mirror and to reflect more on our own lives. The desire of the series and the hope in the series is this, is that you will take these teachings and begin to learn what they are for our lives. See, here's what I want you to know. Faith is not formed in the deeper teachings of the Bible. Faith is formed when we're willing to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus and his word. And some of us needed to hear that today. Some of us seasoned church people needed to hear that word today. See, here's the thing. I can go to my gym and I can stand around with everybody that's in the class. I can hear about what the routines are going to be, what the exercises are going to be, the sets are going to be. We can actually share stories and have fun. But unless I actually do the workout, I am not likely to get in shape. I have to do the work. In some ways, I see this series is doing the work. Like, for example, last week, we did a topic on anger and uh, reconciliation and forgiveness. And what is so incredible is we're hearing stories of people being obedient to the teachings last weekend on anger. And they're entering into the conversations of reconciliation, asking for forgiveness, emails are being sent, text messages are being sent, and actual meetings are being set up. That is being obedient. See, our faith is strengthened and matured when we are obedient to the things of Jesus. Now, we've been talking a lot about this idea that this series is like a blueprint for our lives. A blueprint that Jesus gives us that guides us into living out what does it mean to live in the realm and rule of God's kingdom. And the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount and the Jesus Said What series is that very thing, is to take us to that place to help us understand that 
Our beliefs, our truth is not based on, say, personal experiences. It's not based on worldly ideas. It's not even based on political correctness with an unhealthy agenda. We're actually focusing on the teachings, instructions of Jesus as to what does it mean to live in his kingdom? What does it mean to be a human being according to God's view? So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a teaching from the, from the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that I have never, ever taught on in the life of our church. I've never gone into this space because I've avoided it, to be quite honest with you. I've not wanted to talk about it, but I believe we need to today. See, today we're going to talk about adultery and lust. Those are the two things that we're going to be talking about today, and they're going to go hand in hand. Now, some of you are thinking, why did, in the world that I picked today to be the first day that I come to Vital Point Church? But here's the thing I can guarantee, that in a few months, someone's going to ask you, hey, what was your first Sunday like at Vital Point Church? You're going to be able to say, well, let me tell you, they talked about adultery and lust. So there you go. That's me trying to help you remember your first experience. Okay, so let's jump in. And look at the teachings from Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to unpack it. It says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going into hell. All right, some of you are like scratching your heads going, what in the world is happening here? A number of times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said. What he's doing there is he's connecting his teaching to the teachings of Moses and more specifically to the Ten Commandments that Moses received on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments are like God's top ten rules for life and adultery is actually number seven. Jesus looks at this command and deepens the reality of the command, creating a new ethic for his listeners to live out. Now, keep in mind, he's sitting down and he's riffing on these things. He's just spitballing these thoughts and these truths and these teachings. And people are all nodding their heads to start out. They're like, oh, yeah, I get this. But then what he does is he actually spins it in a way that makes people a little bit squirmy inside, a little bit awkward. He takes the seventh commandment to not commit adultery and deepens it. He says, but I say. That you that that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus is addressing men particularly here due to the times, and it was very common for men in this kind of time and era to be sleeping around with other women. So matter of fact, women, if they were caught in adultery, the consequences would be put to death. For men, there is very little consequences. He focuses on men here specifically, but I believe that women in this particular incident also need to pay attention and to lean in to what is being said. So what is adultery? I don't want to assume that we fully understand and know what that means. We can understand the concept of it. Adultery is a married person having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse 
and particularly with someone else's spouse. Jesus says, I am in full support of command number seven that Moses gave. But what we must realize is that it's much more than that. It's a heart issue. See, some of the men listening could have said, that's, check, I, I've never had sex with anyone other than my, and within the context of my marriage, so I am good. But Jesus says, whoa, hold on a second. If you have looked at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery in your heart with her. Now, at this moment, like right now, there's an awkward silence in the moment that Jesus is teaching this. No one is making eye contact with anybody else. I can only imagine. I don't have evidence of this, obviously, but I can just imagine how awkward it was for Jesus to say these things in the particular time that he was teaching this. Now, we have to look at We have to expose two words here, the word look and the word lust, okay? These are the two things that we need to look at. The word look, it's this idea of gaze upon something, okay? So uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we were on a trip in Ireland, and we did around the northern part of Ireland, north of Belfast, and so on. And I got to tell you, the scenery was spectacular. We stopped at a place called Giant's Causeway, and we did this big, long hike, and we experienced this whole thing, and we went way up on this high point in the Giant's Causeway, and we were gazing out over the landscape, over the giant's causeway, and it was absolutely incredible. We were gazing at it. We were taking it in. It was capturing our attention. I got a picture for you here. It kind of demonstrates what we were looking at. This is one that we actually took. When Jesus says, look, he's not talking about the ability to acknowledge that someone is attractive or beautiful. What he's talking about here is looking at someone as an object to be consumed, to look at intent with to conquer or to have. And he's not even referring to the length of the time in which the person is looking. A number of years ago, uh, uh, someone said to me, an older elderly man said to me, he said in his, in his older voice, he said, it's a sin to look at a woman twice, so make the first one a long one. Now, I got to tell you, I confess to you that I kind of did laugh at that at that time, but I realized that even the statement in itself connected to what Jesus is teaching, it's a little bit off, isn't it? See, adultery is more than the physical contact of two bodies coming together. It's a heart condition. Jesus drives this truth deeper into the heart of who we are. Why? It's because Jesus is not only interested about the external reality of our lives. He is also interested in the internal reality. Now, the word lust is our second word. Look with sexual desire. It's the intent of the imagination or the fantasy that we create within ourselves. It's that lust where we linger in the look with our eyes, desiring that person to take to be ourselves. And so what we do is we look at it. So the looking is the pathway to the lust that is developed within our hearts. So the eye, I'll say it like this, the eye is the path where desire is fanned and desire untamed burns like a fire in our hearts, adding fuel to our fantasies and to our imaginations. 
This is where the lust comes in. So it arouses some sort of sexual desire for someone. And in doing so, we're committing adultery with that person in our heart. So when you fantasize about a sexual encounter with that person, that is adultery. You are attaching yourself to that person. See, it's possible that you as a, as a, as a man, okay, men and women, but particularly here what Jesus is talking about, it is possible for you to say, I have never had sex with anyone other than my wife, and I've never committed adultery, but you've had untethered fantasies of sexual encounter with the woman in cubicle six, Jesus would say, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. I mean, let that settle in for just a moment and make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. It's kind of like last week. We talked about how anger leads us to murder. Lust leads to adultery. Now, this is where it gets really super tough for us, especially in this cultural moment in which we live. I'm going to step into this for a minute. We're being led to believe that you are free to express your sexual desire however you want, okay? We have elevated desires and feelings as the highest form of guidance and good in our lives. And if anyone tries to tell you different, like a church, like a pastor or a preacher or the Bible, they're only trying to oppress or suppress your freedom of expressing your true self. We are in a time when we're being led to believe that our true freedom comes from expression of our true selves. If you're a married man and you want to express your desire for another woman, nobody can stand in the way to tell you what your truth is because that is your truth. You go ahead and have that sexual encounter because that is your freedom and your right to be your true self. I'm often astounded at how as a culture, we've bought the lies of the evil one that's only, listen, the evil one's only mission is to do what? Is to kill, steal, and destroy. So the role of the evil one is destroy your marriage, your family, and your lives. I'd be with John Mark Comer on this, who is an author and a pastor. He says this, it's the worst advice that you can tell someone is to be true to yourself. And the reason is this, Our true selves are often based in our disordered desires that leads to death and destruction. And to deepening this in our day, to tell us to be our true selves, runs in contrary to what God wants for us. See, disordered desires is that place where lust resides and where we begin to believe that we deserve to be happy and the fulfillment of our own personal desires because we are being true to ourselves. You deserve to be happy, so therefore you go and take. But what happens is this, lust begins to objectify another human being as something to be consumed, something to be consumed for our own satisfaction. It's interesting, uh, Jesus' half-brother is, is named James. He, he wrote this book in the New Testament called James. Kind of clever, isn't it? Uh, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Um, it says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings what? Forth death. 
The word desire here is the word lust. So lust produces sin. Sin brings about death, which if you put it together, LSD does kill. Trust me when it says that. Now, it's an interesting dynamic because when you think about how the enemy uses this in our culture and uses this in our lives... It doesn't come with a a little fine print warning. You know, everything like you see commercials on TV, if you still watch commercials, or it comes with a little fine print, you know, you don't try this at home. It's like they treat us like we're stupid or something like that. But here's the thing. Lust never comes with a warning. Potentially will destroy your marriage, your kids, your relationships, your life. Use at your own risk. It doesn't come with that. Lust is actually fanned and celebrated in our culture and our society. What I think is important to understand what James is also saying is this. The temptation is not the sin. The sin is allowing the temptation to grow and our disordered desires, which is lust, which leads to sin, which is the fantasy, which leads to actual death because we're committing adultery with that person that we're fantasizing over. This is what's so concerning as I watch this all happening in our world system. We are being sold a bill of goods that says your true freedom comes when you express your true self. And it only brings about confinement to self and death. It's why someone who believes that the sexual expression of sin is no problem. You just go for it. And the problem is, is that when you do, you get this this hit that feels so good and the expression of it, well, that was my freedom because I expressed my true self, but really it was just a deception to what freedom really is. You think, I finally found it. This is what I've been looking for. And all it does is bring about confusion and harm. Jesus here in this moment is deepening the reality of a sexual desire expressed within the confines of a husband and wife relationship within the marriage that is what he's designed for us. And he's doing it in order to protect what it means to be a kingdom of God oriented person. He's creating a new ethic for his kingdom people to follow in their lives. Now, Jesus then does something very interesting, and some of you are are kind of wondering if I'm going to deal with this. Jesus actually goes a step farther, and he begins to speak about some pretty strange things. I'll read it for you again, verses 29 and 30 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, before we go and get a saw and whatever we use to pluck our eyes out, let's talk about this because Jesus is actually exaggerating a point to to make a point. He's exaggerating to get a point across here. The right hand, right hand and the right eye. Uh, what is this telling us? You're probably asking. Well, the right hand is for the majority, the dominant hand, okay? Used for many things, okay? I'm not going back to the day and ages where you're left-handed and you're being forced to use your right hand. That's what, what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is, and what people believe Jesus is talking about here, is that the dominant hand is used for many things, including personal fulfillment of lustful desires, We've got kids watching and listening to this, and I don't want any awkward conversations with parents after church today, but I think you know what I'm talking about there. 
Now, the eye is interesting. The right eye is a fascinating thing because the right eye speaks of domination and power over someone. This is actually connected into the Old Testament. You can Google that later if you want. But in the Old Testament, when you would cut out the right eye of an opposing people group, what that was doing was humiliating them and disempowerment and disempowering them. So if you came across someone with no right eye, it was missing, they've lost domination over someone else. Now, this is so fascinating. I just love this. What is interesting about this, when you put these two things together, and what I believe Jesus is saying to us here is this. It's better to remove the things in your life that cause you to stumble than to live a hellish life. Because Jesus refers to it twice. It's better to cut off your your right hand and to pluck out your tear at your right eye than to, and he says it twice, to be thrown into hell. This is important and very critical to the conversation. Because some of us, when you hear the word hell, right away... You think about uh, uh, Satan in a red suit and a pitchfork, or maybe Sam Smith at the Grammys. That's what you have in your head right now. Or you think of some sort of uh, eternal tormented fire, okay? What's very important to understand is that these people actually took what Jesus said and connected to a very real place that they would have known about. See, the word hell here is Gehenna. That is the valley just outside of Jerusalem where horrible things happen. This is why he's referring to it, throwing into hell. Now, kings of the past would sacrifice their children in this place of Gehenna or hell. People would throw dead bodies in there. People would throw animal carcasses in there. It's described as a place where fire never ends. It's also described as a place where it was sounded like grinding teeth or or gnashing teeth. There's this constant grinding sound. It is a place of horror, of death and destruction. Jesus says it's better to go through life without a right hand or right eye than to be thrown into the pit of despair and destruction. The listeners would have been good. They would have been like, oh, yeah, I do not want to be thrown into that place of horror. I would rather do the hard work of removing the thing in my life. See, Jesus is not saying, let's pluck your eye out and cut your right hand off. That's not what he's saying. What I believe he's saying is, is don't let lust destroy your life. It's better to do the hard work of bringing it under control and not give in to its seductive desires and power that it has in your life because it is a heart issue. Now, you're probably going like, oh, wow, I had no idea about this and I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure what to do with all this. Well, let me give you a few things that I believe you can do that's going to help you in this. And the first thing is this. I'm going to give you like three things. It's like a typical church experience. I'm going to give you three steps to kind of overcome this. Three ideas, three truths. First one is this. Guard the intake flow of sexual content. Guard it. Now, this is very difficult due to sex-saturated society in which we live in. 
I mean, we we're we're constantly um, consuming uh, sexual content in our culture. I mean, you can't even watch a commercial on TV or something online, or our feeds get full of stuff sometimes, and you're like, "Whoa, I can't seem to get away from this." When you are constantly consuming inappropriate sexual content, it only fuels your imagination and your desire, and we need to unplug from it to protect ourselves. We need to stop watching the series that we're streaming on our platforms, and we need to burn our Fifty Shades of Grey collection. Okay, uh, that's I just had to throw that in there just to take a jab. I'm amazed at how many people are captured by Fifty Shades of Grey. Guarding our intake is the boundaries that we place to protect our minds. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What we consume eventually dictates our lives, and we must protect ourselves. This is a bit of a Interesting thing that happened to me as I was writing this talk. I have Instagram. I follow all kinds of people on Instagram. And um, I follow even like uh, like CrossFit things and health people and all that kind of stuff. And there was a feed that I constantly look at. It's kind of this great input. But all of a sudden, they started posting inappropriate pictures that I was like, whoa, I don't need to see you in that skimpy little outfit. So what I did was I unfollowed. I was like, nope. Not going to have that content coming in. I unfollowed it. So let me ask you, what do you need to remove from your intake list right now? Is it a show? Is it a book series? Is it a bookmark porn pages that you have? Both men and women. This is a whole issue for, I mean, it's been a male issue for for so long. Uh, but we're seeing more and more that females are now falling into the trap of pornography as well. And it's getting up there as, as much as men. If you need to be broken from that, you just talk to us and we can get you some help. But guard the intake. Second thing is, confess your lustful thoughts to a trusted Christian friend. Okay, we know this. Some religious systems have a booth that you go to and you confess to someone, a religious figure, and you confess to them. We're not bringing a, a, a confession booth to VPC. But confession is the acknowledgement that there is an issue. Okay, now, one of the signs of a healthy church is a confessing community. Uh, and I, I think that this is something that Vital Point Church is going to get better at, is honoring and celebrating the confession community where we're willing to enter into the tough conversations and to be willing to confess these things to one another. Now, we must find a trusted Christian, solid, mature Christian that we can confess these things to. I don't want you kind of just to kind of run out willy-nilly and just pick someone and say, can I confess my lust? No, 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 don't do that. Find a mature follower of Jesus. I, I'll share a bit of my life on this. Um, you know, I've got permission to share this. I talked to Desiree about this, my wife. Um, when I was a teenager, I, I dabbled a little bit in pornography. And back in those days in the 80s, it was magazines and you had to ask for, you know, the videos underneath the counter. It wasn't like today where everything's just flung wide open. Uh, there wasn't even internet back then from what I remember. But anyway, um, so I dabbled in it a little bit, and I wouldn't say it was a full-on addiction in the sense of what you sometimes see today. 
We got married in 1990, and the first couple of years, the images that I had allowed myself to see were kind of influencing and impacting our marriage. And so I had to literally confess to her. I had to go and I had to confess to her this part of my life and because I, I just didn't want it to be a secret anymore. And uh, it, I mean, we had to work through all that. And you have to cautiously, if you're married, uh, you know, be careful of that. But I think it's an important piece of this is that we find uh, a, someone that we can confess to. James chapter 5, verse 19, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and, and um, as it's working in our lives. Uh, some theologians believe that when we are confessing to another person of faith, especially a mature faith, it's as if we're confessing to God. And in that relationship, there's the prayer of the righteous person that brings about healing and power. I love that because the confession is this. It actually breaks the lie that you need to keep this a secret. See, the enemy wants you to be trapped by these lustful thoughts. And so what the enemy is going to do is try to convince you that, no, you can't tell anybody. You need to keep it a secret. You're the only one that ever deals with this stuff. And when you confess it, you realize, oh, that person also deals with it as well. And there's such commonality. So there's a piece of that that you need to find out who you're going to confess to, and maybe some of us need to set up a coffee this week with a friend and confess this just to get it out in the open. The third thing is this, is daily dying to our desires. See, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're called to follow the teachings and the words of Jesus not the worldly agenda or personal gain or happiness. We are to die to our desires daily. And our faith is developed and designed to die to self in order to, for it to grow and to mature in our life. Our selfish, disordered desires bring death. We've already established this. And we're not to live from a place of being your true self. Because being our true self is that dangerous place. Jesus says we are to die to ourselves. The Apostle Paul even says this in his writings, directed by the Spirit of God in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His blueprint to live for something higher is not self-expression or selfish desire. It is what? Self-control. When we die to self, the character of Christ is developed in us and the self-control becomes part of us, which is actually what is called the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ in us. We do not live for our own fleshly desires. We live now for Jesus Christ. When we die daily, this is development in our lives. So the three things to review. The first one is what? Guard the intake flow of sexual content. And then the second thing is confess your lustful thoughts to a trusted Christian friend. The last is die daily to our desires. And let me end with this before we close. Lust in our hearts, I want you to know this. Because I do not want you to feel... Uh, inappropriate guilt or shame from this conversation. If this is part of your life, if this has been a pattern, a consistent thing, your eyes have been wandering, your fantasies, your imagination, and you realize the depth of what this has been doing to you, and maybe even in your marriage relationship or whatever it is, I want you to know this. Please hear my words. You can be forgiven and you can be renewed. That God's grace is offered to us and his love covers us and brings us great freedom. 
that yes, it might be a process. And yes, it is a battle that we live. We live in a sex-saturated society that tells women to look a certain way, that tells men that they can objectify women. But Jesus says, no, there is a greater way to live. And I want you to know today that the gentleness of God's grace in the soil of our hearts, we can pull the weeds of lust out of our lives so that we can live lives that honor God, respect others, value them as created in his image, and bring glory to his name through how we live. Please understand that you can find grace in this environment of Vital Point Church. You can find the place where you can begin to journey into the space where you can find hope and healing. You do not have to succumb to this. You do not have to live under the pressure of it. You can find the hope and the healing and the beauty of the grace and the forgiveness of God in our lives. And by his strength and by his power and by his presence, we can overcome and live a life that pleases him and honors him and others and yourself.